This episode of the Cascadian Beer Podcast has been made possible by the BC Ale Trail. Arrive thirsty, leave inspired. What makes a brewery stand out from the rest? Well, excellent beer for one, but you also might have to be a little strange. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer and have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers and what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest and the North American continent. It is made of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I profile the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. Along Clark Drive in Vancouver, BC, is a brewery inspired by old world traditions while still staying true to the Pacific Northwest. Part of Vancouver's Yeast Van neighborhood, Strange Fellows Brewing opened their doors in 2014. Uh, my name's Ian Hill owner brewmaster strange fellows brewing company uh, owner of uh, one of two owners I, I i need to say that okay we'll clarify that um how long have you guys been open for we opened to the public here december 18th 2014 all right and how did beer find you oh love it but do you have a, you're gonna need a chair no. so uh, <laughs> i've been sitting all day that's okay all right so um I went to university on Vancouver Island, the University of Victoria, studied biochemistry, got a degree in biochemistry, was always really interested in food uh, and stuff that I often refer to as unromantically as applied food biotechnology, never something you'd talk about in marketing of craft brewing because it's not that cool. But we traveled a lot as a kid and my mom was always really into cooking and so would always be, uh, you know, trying to replicate things or discover, you know, foreign things and, and, and prepare foods from around the world. So I kind of, that's just something I grew up around a lot. I did grow up on Vancouver Island uh, here in BC and so then studying biochemistry, of course, is a lot of things that kind of bridge the gap between those two areas. Obvious, most obviously, you know, fermented foods. So you talk, you can talk about cheese, you can talk about pickles, you can talk about yogurt, you can talk about beer and wine, and, and, and there's a big long list. So when I actually finished my degree, I moved to Vancouver with the woman that's now my wife. She was in art school at Emily Carr. And I just started looking for work. And I, I visited some wineries up in the Okanagan, our, our wine region here in British Columbia. Uh, and also, you know, started visiting breweries and, th and things like that. Also, interestingly, took up cheesemaking as a, as a ridiculous hobby and became way too involved in that for, for a period of time until I had my first kid. And I didn't have enough time for that insane hobby anymore. But I, I started visiting breweries, as I said. And the first job that came up was uh, in a brewery called Shaftbury Brewing Company that's, that was in East Vancouver at the time, 1973 Pandora, not w far from where we're standing right now, really, just like a kilometer and a half, two kilometers. And they offered me a job doing quality control. I didn't, you know, well, really that, that know sounds what, like a tough job. No, yeah. it, it, well, no. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I'd been a home brewer. I was really interested in beer, but I was pretty green. So that would be in about, that's 1993. 
So beginning of 93, I guess. But of course, there was someone there who was leaving that was able to train me. So that was great. Um, and it was really basic QC stuff, stuff that involved, you know, lab techniques I'd learned in, in school, growing things on Petri plates, looking for yeast and bacterial infections and all that stuff. And then we started packaging there, you know, bottling, and that involves quite a bit of quality control. But also when I started, we became really busy. So in, in a way, it's like we think about this little resurgence, this little renaissance we have going on now. And I guess, you know, I, I think I've been at it pretty long compared to other people around. And I can honestly say this isn't the first one in my tenure either. There's there's really been another. So in the, what would that be? The late 90s, really. But, but at that point, as I said, I was in the early 90s. Uh, at that same time, I was doing quality control, but there was a need for more people in production. So I learned everything. So, you know, whatever it is, cleaning walls, washing floors, cleaning kegs, filling kegs, racking beer, transferring beer, eventually, of course, brewing. So that really was my first brewing gig. It was really exciting, incredibly basic brewery. It's kind of like learning to drive uh, an old, you know, Land Rover Jeep without synchro mesh between gears. You, you know, you really learn to feel stuff with your hands and your chest mm -hmm. as, you know, you know what the brakes should feel like. And it's awesome. So it's a great way to learn. Well, what was the size of that system? That, well, okay. So it wasn't that small, actually. I mean, the kettle size was, I remember, because it was on a big tag on the side of the kettle, 3,336 liters, 30, 33 0.6 hectoliters was that system. But it's a really poorly designed system, which is fine. I mean, it was just an early system. I mean, we've, in terms of small, you know, craft brewing, we've come a really, really long way since then. Um, so again, I mean, because it was crappy is probably another reason you learn a lot of things the hard way and the good way. So yeah, that, that was my first experience brewing. I think I was, I was there just over a year, really not that long. And then I started working at the Mark James Group. So that was the most people would think of Yaletown Brewing Company. So the first brew pub really in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Technically, there was another, it's not really Vancouver. North Van had a brew pub that opened a year before called Sailor Hagar's. So I, I should be clear, technically not. Maybe the first in, you know, Vancouver proper. And so from there, we opened with the Mark James Group. I then was responsible for designing and opening subsequent breweries. There were four more after that of those. Let me see. One, two of the, their brew pubs, I should say, have closed. Uh, one of them briefly was sort of Red Truck until the main Red Truck brewery was built. I worked on Red Truck since 2007, designing and setting that up. And then also I opened the, I learned to be a distiller. So I spent two years distilling for the Mark James Group. So that's Yaletown Distilling Company. That was an amazing experience going from really honestly doing very little, a little bit of home distilling, but nothing really to actually, you know, studying it a little bit, taking some courses in the States um, and then developing a line of spirits for them. So mostly gin and vodka, but also doing some fruit eau de vies, which I absolutely fell in love with, even though no one was at, at all interested in buying them. Um, but that's often the way with good, you know, best yeah. music. No one pays attention. You know? yeah. From there, I'd always, always wanted to open my own brewery and I partnered up with Aaron John here, so so my partner in, in Strange Fellows, and we opened this. Of course, it's like that made it sound really fast, but you know, three yeah, years yeah, of planning. I was, I, I was and, gonna say, you know, like, it doesn't, you know, and it's not. He wasn't even. I mean, I had other another business partner before him that that I'm still good friends with, but but obviously I didn't partner up with. So you know, there's a lot of uh, bumps in the road and ups and downs, and eventually got this thing going, which is. I often say, yeah, I did three really hard th things in my life. I mean, I had kids. I've got three kids, which is nuts. I got a university degree. I'm not that smart. So I uh, um, I don't care if I brag because I'm like, well, that was really expensive and really hard. And I opened a business. And, and those are, yeah, I don't know, three things that I did that I feel like were 
pretty tough. <laughs> so what was the initial idea then for Strange Fellows? Like, did you have, did you have a name or did you just have a concept that you wanted to well, go? Well, you know, that's just another really good question. So originally Aaron and I had uh, another name and I'll tell you what it is. It's still our legal name, Low Countries Brewing Company. So the idea behind, if, if you know what the Low Countries are, that's really a region in Europe. So mostly Belgium, uh, sort of Southern Holland, Northern France, I think maybe a little bit of Germany. That's all the low countries, and there's all those beer styles that come from there, largely, you know, Belgian styles and beer de garde in France and Cezanne in Belgium and all the other Belgian beers. Um, and so we wanted to do those, and I've always been a nut about Belgian beers. And it's, I, I hate, you know, it's funny, it's kind of a cliche. People say, what are your favorite beers? And, oh, you know, the most interesting, coolest beers are Lambic. And it's like, yeah, of course you're going to say that. You know, it's kind of a cliche, but what can I do? They're amazing and interesting. So we really wanted to do a lot of Belgian beers. And and then we kind of came to terms uh, over over time, or, or maybe, maybe I did a bit more and had to push Aaron on it, that really there's so many other things that we would ultimately want to do when we open the brewery. And if we pigeonhole ourselves like that, um, I, I mean, specifically, I knew some things I wanted to do as well. If we pigeonhole ourselves, it might be a little bit difficult. Obviously, you could still. I mean, you think of New Belgium and Fort, Fort Collins, Colorado. I mean, they opened as New Belgium. They were going to make Belgian beers. Do they do that they do. now? They well, make everything. Yeah, all they got is fat tire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, does, I don't know that it really, really matters, but it mattered to me at the time. So we said, hey, we're, and, and a lot of people also told us they didn't like the name. So after, you know, over a year walking around with that name, we, we agreed uh, easily, actually, that we would change the name. And then we spent ages trying to come up with another name. We're very different different people. We complement each other incredibly well, actually. So, but because we're so different, we have different aesthetics and everything. That was really hard. We had another name, which I'm not going to tell you because oh. I'm slightly embarrassed, but we actually, our lawyer came back and told us, no, you can't use that name. It's too similar to this wine brand that's uh, distributed from Argentina and they distributed mm -hmm. in Canada. You better stay away from it. It's too risky if you spend all this money on it. So then we went away for a third time and it was so bad. Like I almost didn't know that we'd be able to stay together, Aaron, Aaron and I, and he'll, he'll tell you the same story. Like it was just, we we're beating our heads against the wall. And you'd say, you know, what's the important, like, what's the big deal? It's just a name, just put it behind you, forget about it. But it embodies a lot, like yeah. a lot of, you know, you're really, you know, hanging your sign around yourself. You're really, and if you don't like it, then it, I don't know. It's just not right. Well, it's like naming level. your kids, right? I doubt, totally. I, I doubt you flipped a coin. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, so, right. So strange fellows, we were having dinner at my house, our, Aaron and I, and, and our wives and my wife, you know, after a long time, we had lists and everything. She said, you guys are a couple of really strange dudes, you know, and that was it really. We, we, you know, with in that one evening, we you know went strange dudes, strange fellows. Okay, you know we like the sound of fellows. It's kind of uh, uh, what's their academic or, or or something. I don't know. It it kind of puts a it puts a positive spin on the word strange. That could be a little could be negative at times, but is also can mean you know unique or or uh, extraordinary. I yeah. think so. We often now say strange and extraordinary in some of in some of our our, our copy that we write. Um, that's really the name Strange Fellows. And now we do all these things like we celebrate strange days, which are every every month we celebrate a different strange day. And that's something from real folklore and, and, and history. Um, for example, in December, we on December 5th, we celebrated Krampusnacht, which is a Krampus night, of course, in German. And Krampus, if you don't know, is the anti-Father Christmas. So really scary horns, uh, fur all over his body, big uh, claws. So we get a throne. We have this beautiful big throne. Uh, 
someone here dresses up as Krampus and then people bring their, you know, it's, it goes out on social media like crazy. People bring their kids in and line up and have, have pictures of their kids taken with Krampus. Of course, we do a beer called Krampus, which is a kind of an Abbey double really. So a little bit uh, like so many of those Trappist doubles and, and, and Abbey doubles, a bit more malty, a bit darker in color, but you know, bottle conditioned, all our big bottles are now bottle conditioned. So um, I don't know, pretty, pretty lovely, nothing about hops at all. Just not that kind of beer, yeah. um, but, but very Belgian. Um, so that's the beer. And then we, and then that's, that's December. So at, like, for example, this month we're doing Apelia, which is a Norse and Scottish strange day. We're going to have uh, those, they, they always burn these Viking longships in Scotland that they parade around the towns. So we have, that's the one you yeah, may have seen Viking hanging up. up. Yeah, uh, the that, idea yeah. is people walk in and you write, you write, write things, you, wishes or things you want to unburden yourself of on little bits of paper and throw them in and then we burn it. So to light it on fire this January, uh, what day is it on? Jeez. I want to say the, I feel like it's the 24th. I can't remember. Um, this anyway, episode comes out in February. Oh, so. perfect. Doesn't matter. So um, we have a fire breather here who be here, and he's going to light it on fire by blowing fire from out of out of his mouth awesome. and doing a whole bunch of other fire stuff. So we always do crazy things like that every Sounds month, strange. Different, different strange things. Yeah. It's really fun, and there's lots of imagery associated with it. Actually, Christine, who I've talked about, my wife, does does all our branding and and. Uh, uh, copywriting. That was my next so, question is where does the artwork come from? Yeah. So all the images on that you see on the cans and bottles come about originally as woodcut, but really lino cut images. So it's really, it's really the woodcut concept. Nowadays, everyone just, just carves lino and, and then does it from there. I mean, she's been a, you know, she's been a graphic designer, obviously for, for a long time. And, and even, even before this company, that that's what she did. So um, yeah. And she, as I said, she writes the copy and, and, comes up with some of these concepts like the strange days and things like that. I mean, we're super lucky and I'm lucky she's my wife. So, (laughs) so, so with all that, what type of beers do you guys focus on? Yeah. So we're known a lot for sour styles Mm -hmm. for sure. I'd say if you go out and about and talk to sort of beer people in the know in Vancouver, they would probably say strange mellows is known a lot for sour styles, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, I, I mean, at, at lack of seeming, un, at, sorry, at risk of seeming unfocused, we do a broad range of things. So, for example, our biggest selling beer is a beer, honestly, I absolutely love. So, the Talisman Pale Ale mm-hmm. is, is only 4%. It's kind of an ISA. It's only 4%. It's dry hopped with a whole bunch of mosaic, which, of course, is uh, is an awesome Pacific Northwest Yakima, you know, yep. full on, fruity, lovely. It's But it's not a beer that knocks you over the head. Not at all. It's subtle. It's soft. So, I got to go home at the end of the day to three kids. So, I can have a couple of 4% beers. It makes no difference. That's why I love that. Beer. And I love that beer because... You know, you have it and it's great in the summertime, but you can also come back to it in the winter. Like yeah. it's got that nice characteristic where it is a nice year round beer yeah, for any occasion. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, totally. So, so that, I mean, that, that's sort of like a deviation from that whole sour thing. And then we do, you know, we do wit beer uh, mm-hmm. and we do, you know, Saison and we do all kind. Of, we also, of course, we do IPAs too, like, like everybody. I mean, we're not amazingly known for IPAs, but we do a single hop uh, series of IPAs. So then, uh, your brew house. What is the size of your brew house, and have you and have you expanded since um, you have opened? No, we're thirty heck brew house, and that's actually how we started. I always felt like there's kind of an for a small craft brewery, there's kind of an ideal starting size that's somewhere in the kind of twenty to to thirty heck range. And really, what happens when you're doing you're building a brewery? It always happens is that you you know you think 
small to some degree because everything costs money and because typically you never have enough and you're stressed out. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be sitting on a ton of beer too. Well, that too, that yeah. too. But then uh, we've all seen everywhere, all across North America, that if you open a brewery with almost any amount of success, you never have enough beer. There's that, plus the fact that the difference in cost between, say, a 15-hex system and, say, a 30-hex system is really pretty minimal. You know, the, the it's if you think about it, all the welding and all the building and all the design and all the motors and the electrical, it's no different for for either system, really. It's just a bunch more stainless steel. Mm-hmm. So really, that's why, you know, you get drawn down that you're like, oh, well, we can spend another $1,000 here and another $800 here and another $3,000 there. And pretty soon, and, and, you know, have a system that's twice as big or third bigger or whatever. Um, and that's kind of what happens to you. I think it happens to a lot of people. And it, it, I, I, it's good. I mean, it's, it's ideal to, to be able to make enough beer, right? Mm-hmm. Well, did you guys run out when you first opened? Uh, yeah, we did. And not right away, probably less than a year in. Uh, we were certainly our first summer. We were, yeah, so that'd be less than a year in. Uh, first summer, we were running out of beer like crazy. And the, what, what that's not so much to do with the brew house size. That's more to do with what we call the tank farm. Uh, if you're really cool, you call all your fermenters and aging tanks, you know, call that whole area tank farm. Um, so really that, yeah, fermentation uni tanks and, and it bright tanks where you package your beer off and things like that. So you can always expand your brewery by just increasing those and increase the number of brews you do per week or per day. And so really we, we were able to expand the tank farm and we've, we've now had three tank farm expansions since, since we opened. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the way you ideally any brewery does it. They just, you know, you choose the biggest brew house that kind of makes sense on, on a lot of fronts for you. And then you just build out the tank farm, the fermentation. And you have a couple barrels back there now. I see. A couple what, barrels. What, yeah. What's uh, what's going on with those guys? Yeah, I think there's seventy barrels altogether, or so, maybe just over. Uh, almost all of all of that, except for the all of that sour, except for the Russian Imperial Stout, which is aging in bourbon barrels. And we switched to a different bourbon barrel this year, and I forget what. Oh, I forget the name of that that company. We used to use Jack Daniels, which of course. Uh, technically isn't really bourbons, Tennessee whiskey, but anyway, switch to quite a good one. Uh, and everything else though is mostly red and some white wine barrels, uh, lambic and white wine barrels, a uh, raw lambic for, for blending and, and for using with fruit and stuff like that. And then Ode Brune and red wine barrels. Always, I've always done a lot of Ode Brune. Like I started doing that in my previous existence at Yale Town Brewing Company. So that's a beer I've done for, I don't know, over 10 years. I was sold a lot here in Vancouver, the Alibi Room, uh, which which is, has always been a, a great beer spot. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of all sorts of things. There's there's quite a mix-up of, of different barrels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've also got a Fudra as well, so a 6,000-liter oak tank. Sweet. <laughs> I'm in conversation with Ian Hill of Strange Fellows Brewing, which is part of Vancouver's craft beer scene. And it's exploded in recent years with nearly 30 breweries within the city limits. It can be a little daunting to even know where to begin to explore. But thankfully, the BC Ale Trail has launched the brand new Vancouver Ale Trail. And on the website at bcaletrail.ca, you'll find recommended itineraries for each region of the province, a comprehensive list of every craft brewery in BC, and a calendar of beer events, a blog with lots of great stories, and even more. The regional ale trails include local breweries, pubs, and restaurants, along with other activities the area has to offer. So whether you're planning a weekend trip or being a tourist in your own backyard, why not let the BC Ale Trail guide you to your next beer adventure? Arrive thirsty, 
leaveinspired at bcltrail.ca. Now, let's get back into my chat with Ian Hill of Strange Fellows. And you mentioned cheese making and stuff. I mean, that explains that uh, cheese that's for sale uh, in the... I didn't in, make that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but that that that's where the inspiration kind of came from to offer that out yeah. the pitch, right? So yeah. we do, you know, we, we don't have a lot of food here, but we have uh, like charcuterie boards and stuff you can, you can come and, and grab to have with your beer. And so we have had relationships with different cheesemakers. And currently we're getting some cheese from Mount Lehman, which is up the Fraser Valley here. And Jason at Mount Lehman... Uh, was able to take a bunch of our Russian Imperial Stout and mix it with a bunch of his cheese and, and age the cheese that way. So that's what that is. You can buy it. You can have it on 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 some of our boards, stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then speaking of collaborations, I mean, my favorite beer name collaboration of all time has to be you guys when you teamed up with Modern Times. Amazing. Because that, uh, that name just wrote itself. Strange Times for Modern Fellows. Yeah, yeah so how did amazing. that project come around? Yeah, I'm trying to think back. So there's, I think originally I got introduced to them by a beer distributor I know. Um, and so we just started talking and, you know, we got along and we decided to, you know, to do a collab. I mean, we, they, they came up here and we, it was cool because we used some really interesting multicultures. The initial fermentation was with our Saison yeast. So it was a, a, a pretty clean and traditional uh, well, traditional, except it had a lot of wheat. It was a very wheat-heavy, higher-gravity Saison. Let me back back that out. Actually, it wasn't traditional at all. Huge hop dose as well. I, have to, I can't remember what... Do you remember what the hops were in that? Yeah. It was... I remember it was... I think... I want to say it was... I want to say it was Amarillo, but I could be wrong. Massive. Uh, and then uh, after primary fermentation, we use horizontals here for conditioning the beer. So a little unusual. Most people do everything in uni tanks, universal tanks used for fermentation and conditioning and aging. We use uni tanks, but we only ferment in them. Then we transfer these horizontal tanks. When we transferred that beer into the horizontal, we went in with a multiculture from uh, modern times. And it was a culture that uh, you don't, you never really know everything's in them. That's, that's where the fun really is. So, you know, it definitely had some Brett in it, had some lacto in it and probably some Saccharomyces as well. And so that produced some amazing fruity flavors. We've, uh, and oh, so that beer was aged for, uh, it was at least two months in that horizontal. Um, while those cultures continued to, to grow and, and use up whatever was food that was there and, and produce the flavors they produced. Really fruity, had some of the classic flavors you get from Brett uh, Clauseni, which is sort of like overripe pineapple. And it wasn't too in your face either. It's like, it was, no, it was nice it was, and subtle. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, so we actually did that beer again, mm-hmm. uh, but because it wasn't a collaboration, of course, we called it Strange Resemblance. Right. Uh, and that's actually current. There's a little bit left for sale in the room, but we're almost done. And that, you know, that's one of those beers that you that's really nice with age because it's bottle conditioned as well mm-hmm. it just gets ugh, it, it got it kind of got drier and drier but it's got a lot of flavor going on it's really lovely yeah i every i mean all the everyone in the in the brewery just you know here in the company just loves that beer so. yeah well i yeah. love it too yeah. oh though. thank you <laughs> thanks aaron so um in in terms of where do you guys go from here like what 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 is there left to achieve in terms of strange fellows um well, yeah good question i mean we ask ourselves a lot how much aaron and i ask ourselves a lot how much we want to grow and in a way we're being like a lot of breweries we're just being drawn along in the market people want more people want more and we kind of do it and we need to like i said we've expanded our tank farm and now we're actually expanding our floor space a bit uh, some more warehouse space and some more space for tanks and new cold room and so on it's not huge but you kind of get pulled along and you 
it's sad to say that there's, you do have to think about how people perceive you. You know, there's, uh, I'm not naming names of there's breweries. I know that maybe don't, you know, mostly bigger craft breweries in the States that, for for who've lost some respect in the market because maybe they've maybe their their beer has become a bit sort of uh, ubiquitous or, or you know lost something it had but not only sometimes it's just simply people say oh you know they're just big you know I'm gonna go get it's like the band that you discovered that that's so awesome I mean two years later everyone else discovered it and it's so awesome and you don't care as much anymore mm-hmm. I mean it's sad, but it does, it does happen. So that's why we, a lot of times we kind of wonder how much we're going to grow right now. We're just being drawn along. Like I said, but I don't think we want to, we're not going for broke. We're not doing that. I, I, yeah, I don't think we need to do that. So I think we're just going to get, get a little bit bigger and see how we feel. Also distilling definitely want to put a still in. Uh, and that was always a plan from the beginning since I, I got really into that. Uh, we just need some more money to make that happen. Right. So if somebody was uh, to come here for the first time, what would be an experience you'd wish they'd leave with at the end of the day? Oh, I like, you know, the beers we just talked about too. I'd tell them, uh, you know, try the drink, drink that, you know, drink a pint of the talisman for sure. It may not be someone's thing. I mean, I, w- I would just say to a person, if I could just remember, it's only 4%. You know, there's a lot of satisfaction there. It's often hard for me people to make beers lower in alcohol that are satisfying. So, you know, hmm. think about that. And then, I, I don't know. Find if you if you think you like sour beers, tr- try those. But don't just try. I mean, we've got some really sour beers. I mean, Reynard and the Coup de Food are, are you know kind of like Russian Riverish. I guess if I was to make an American parallel, you know, pretty pretty sour barrel aged stuff. But also, there's others like we got Roxanne on right now, which is with black raspberries. It's it's fruity. It's for sure sour, but it's not crazy in your face. So I don't know. Discover those, I guess. If if you're into IPA, there's those you can look at too, like our Cyclops series, uh, dry hop with different single hop varietals, stuff stuff like that. You know, I mean, just kind of explore, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And if somebody was wanting to go down this path themselves of opening up their own brewery, what would be some advice you could give them? Yeah. Okay. I would say advice was well, it's a lot of things. Don't don't start too small if you can help it. Right now, I would probably say Vancouver is not a great place to do it. Not because there's anything to do with saturation, because there isn't. Vancouver's it can totally take more. It's just that Vancouver is super expensive. Mm -hmm. And real estate, even since we opened, is just nuts. Like finding the right piece of real estate. And, you know, there's a lot, just like in the States, it's natural that craft brewing would start in urban areas because you know, there's a broader range of populations likely going to be interested. It's just a better market. But if you look at now, I mean, we just talked about Bellingham. Bellingham's not that big. You can do that. You can go to a place that's not this big and have a lot of success. And why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? So I kind of I kind of feel like that. But if you were in Vancouver, I, yeah, I'd say, well, make sure you have a lot of money because it's scary. <laughs> so, you know, it really is. You know, I mean whatever, if you own any real estate, it's that thing that you typically put down. Mm-hmm. And then if you got family, then your family's talking to you about that. That's all hard. <laughs> right. And then if somebody was wanting to get into homebrewing themselves, uh, what would be some practical tips you'd give somebody that's just starting out? Ah, geez. Well, the internet is is just a wealth of awesome information for that. I mean, mm-hmm. like every, anything, there's lots and lots of lots of trash, but there's as soon as you you dig into it, there's piles of great experience. You know, used to be that you, you know twenty years ago we'd 
uh, you know, we, we, well, it was Brewing Techniques magazine and we, we'd read stuff like that, but now we've, we've got the internet and everything that's there. So that's a great resource. And then like, if you've got a great home brewing store, like Dan's Ubrew on, on Hastings here, I mean, they can be grumpy, but, but down there, but that, that's their shtick, but they're really, they, they're, they're the place to go. They've got it all. Um, really they've got a lot of advice, so that's a great place to start and all grain. I mean, just go for it with, if you're going to start with, with extract brewing, that's great. You know, you learn fermentation, learn how to clean things and stuff like that. But when you've done that a couple of times, just move right over and make huge mistakes doing all grain home brewing, um, because it won't be that way forever. And pretty soon you'll make awesome beer. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. That was fun. Thank you so much to Ian for his time. It was great chatting with him and we had a great chat afterwards. And yes, I was so happy to uh, try some of the latest batches that they have. And I have a special bottle that I picked up while I was there as well that I'm really looking forward to opening. So thank you so much, Ian. And if you haven't been, you got to make a trip. Well worth visiting Strange Fellows. This episode of the Cascading Beer Podcast was made possible by the BC Ale Trail. Thank you so much, guys. Check them out at bcaletrail.ca. If you want to follow this podcast series, you can on social media by going to Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. We're on Twitter at Cascadian Beer and on Instagram at Cascadian Beer Podcast. For more information about the podcast series to hear previous episodes, including other ones that I've discovered along the BCL trail, you can head to Cascadian.beer. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Aaron. Really appreciate it. If you like this episode, please feel free to share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe. And until next time, remember... Support your local.